Good to see you here. Let's just have an agreement between us that when we get here next Sunday, it's fall, okay? Whoever's bringing the heat and humidity, just leave, leave it at home. We're doing fall next week. Hey, listen, I, I want to brag on you guys uh, a, a little bit here. Uh, yesterday, we had our, our Go Fish, uh, where we go out and knock on doors. And uh, we got to 1,200 homes yesterday. Because we, yeah, isn't that exciting? Had such a good turnout by... All of y'all, a great morning. And, and I'll tell you another point just to brag on you. And yesterday is kind of when this got marked in my mind, but it, it's true. So many Saturdays, almost every Saturday, uh, I, I call all of our first-time visitors from the pi- prior week. And uh, I'll ask them, well, what, what brought you to our church? Or, how, you know, how'd you end up trying us out? And uh, yesterday, it was almost like every single one of them, but it's always more than half of the time that people answer their question, they, they say, because a, a, a co-worker invited me, because a friend brought me, my, my neighbor invited me to, to come along. And man, I just appreciate you guys. I'm proud of you guys for being proud that you belong to Jesus Christ and wanting to share the life you have in him with others. And uh, we need that, don't we? We need that. So thank you for, for doing that. Hey, listen, on that that same note, and I, and I really did want to say that. It sounds like I, I'm saying it to say what I said next. It just happens to go together. Um, in our bulletin, you'll see we have a class starting Wednesday night called Evangelism 101. And uh, it's a class that just helps you begin conversations, deal with questions, deal with questions you're not going to answer, uh, how to present the gospel in a really simple way, like with two verses uh, verses, ideas, and uh, we, we've done this class for years and years and years. It is a favorite of ours, but if you're looking for some help in how you have a spiritual dialogue and how you encourage people in the story of Jesus Christ, that, that class is for you. I sure hope you will uh, check that out. If you want to learn a little bit more about the class, uh, Jim Reeves and those that lead the class are kind of this end of the hallway out there, back against the opposite wall, there's a desk set up and you can go out there and find out what that's about. You don't have to go to the desk today. You can just come Wednesday night and uh, be a part of the class and, and learn how to tell the story of, of Jesus, who he is and, and what he's meant in your life. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, it was Jesus who, uh, when he was fighting temptation was fighting Satan and was victorious over Satan that he said to the, said to Satan this. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Man, that's a short, simple statement. But do you realize how profound it is? I mean, we all know the impact of food on our lives. I mean, it's, it's strength, it's health. Even, even our mood is affected by that, Right? We all, we all understand the role, the importance of food. And Jesus says, you know, just as you know that, it's every bit that much true. That's what the Word of God is to your life, your health, your strength. Listen, folks, we need a regular daily intake of God's Word. We need to read it every day. You don't expect a pastor to say that from the pulpit, do you? We need to read God's Word Every single day. And you know, when I say read, I'm not just talking about, you know, start here and end here and close it. Okay, I read. I'm talking about reading. I'm talking about trusting and ultimately what? Obeying. 
obeying what we have read. A couple of Sundays ago, I, I, I was coming off the pulpit here, finishing the message, and one of you asked me a, a question that, that went like this. Is it true that in the Bible, nowhere are we commanded to read the Bible? Can you imagine? And I'm thinking, what? that's a dumb question. Of course, we're commanded to read the Bible. And, and I'm thinking, where, where is it? <laughs> where, where are we commanded to do that? You know, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, the verse, the verse, the sentence, where does it say? And, and man, that just nothing's coming to my, my mind. And so, you know, I mean, you know what you do when you don't know the answer. You just say something that they can't understand and sound real smart and move on. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm thinking, but I got back here dur- during the week and I'm thinking, okay, now, now where is that? I mean, surely we're commanded. I mean, it just grabbed me there. Where are we commanded? And I looked and I looked and nothing. And I thought, wow, Lord, this is a real oversight on your part. And, uh, you know, as I, as I looked for that word read, the sentence read, I ran into a lot of stuff that I, I, I did know that I, I did know I would run into, just not the word read. I found the command to meditate on God's word. I found the command to memorize God's word. By the way, those are commands, right? To, to memorize, to meditate, which means if you're not memorizing and you're not meditating, you're disobedient. And a hush. And no one comes, you're a pretty good person. I don't, I'm mostly obedient. Yeah, there's two right there. You disobey. And you know what? If you haven't told the Lord you're sorry and that you're not even trying to meditate or then you're an unrepentant disobeyer of God's word. Okay, that's a whole nother sermon, isn't it? So anyway, we're, we're commanded to meditate on God's word. We're commanded to memorize God's word. We're commanded to study God's word, to grow in God's word. All these different commands about what we're doing with God's word, but no command to read. I mean, where, where, where's the read? And, and then it kind of dawns on me, well, it's implied, Right. I mean, how are you going to memorize? How are you going to meditate? How are you going to grow and and study without reading? It's just implied. But I'm still kind of thinking, but Lord, wouldn't it have been good just to slide in just one verse, read the Bible? And I'm I'm thinking on that. And finally, the sky opened up and the angels came down singing and and God visited me and gave me the answer. Do, Do you know why there's no verse in the Bible where you are commanded to read the Bible? Because there's not one verse in the Bible where God commands something you can't do. Every single thing God commands you can do right now. But folks, think of how much illiteracy there has been in the world. It's probably a little bit harder for us to imagine that today because there is so much Literacy. As a matter of fact, when I, I was small, I mean, I remember pushes and, and talks about global literacy and how we grow that and increase that. And really, in the last two decades, there has been a huge growth, a, a huge spike to where now they say, at least in the things I was reading, that only about 17% of the world is, is illiterate. 83% of people can read and write. That's good news, isn't it? But but even at 17%, which is not a lot, but think, that's 17% of the people on the planet that if there was a command to read the Bible, not only could they not obey that command right now, but they may have little to no ability to ever obey that command. So God doesn't issue commands that we can't obey. Now, the crazy thing is, 
Because there, there used to be much more illiteracy. You go back 200 years. That's a long time ago, right? But when you think of the whole of human history, you only go back 200 years. And in 1820, the illiteracy rate on planet Earth was 88%. That's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? Nine out of ten people could not read or write. And I can only imagine as you keep going back in history that that number either stays the same or about the same, right? So God's not going to issue a command that nine out of ten people can ever fulfill. So he issues these other commands. Meditate, memorize, study, grow. Yeah, but how do you do Wait a minute. I don't need to be able to read to do any of those things. Now, I am highly dependent upon somebody else, right? I mean, I've got to put myself under the sound of God's word, the sound of the teaching of that word. I've got to put myself there a lot. I may It's going to limit how much I can memorize, how much I can meditate, how much I can grow. But I can, in dependence upon somebody else, put myself under the sound of God's word. But man, aren't, isn't reading a blessing? Why would you need to command it? Well, all reading does is make a hundred times easier to do everything God has commanded me to do with Scripture. Does that make sense? Okay, I knew that was really burdening y'all, and so we've solved it now. Let's move on. So what is it we're reading? If you're new to our church or hadn't been here in a while, this is the fourth fourth or fifth Sunday uh, that we've been looking at the Bible. What is it that we have? What What does God say about this book. We've looked last week at different translations. That's of real interest to a lot. If you weren't here, you may want to go back and check that out. And today, I, uh, I just want to look at what it is we're holding, just trying to understand what, what this thing is, what it's made up of. We know that in our hand, there is one book. But actually, inside this one book is 66 books that, that were written over a, a long period of time. Those 66 books are made up of an Old Testament, which is 39 of the 66 books, and a New Testament, 27 of the 66 books. The, the Old Testament, for simplicity today, those are the books before Jesus, right? Before we have the story of Christ, we have the, the Old Testament. It's kind of giving us, it's laying the foundation of everything, how we got here how life got started, how the Jewish faith got started, where their laws came from. And so everything before Christ is the Old Testament. Then we have the New Testament telling the story of Christ. I like how one person described it and said the Old Testament reaches out into eternity past and brings us to the present. The New Testament picks up in the present and takes us back to eternity future. Now, something I always think is important to point out is there's not two different gods in the Old and New Testament. Okay, we, we don't have a different... Have you ever heard people, maybe it's been a little bit of you, you know, it seems like in the Old Testament, God's kind of mean, real angry. He's killing people all the time. But in the New Testament, God becomes nice. He's a smiley, happy God. You know, y'all ever had that kind of thought that God almost seems different in the Old and the New? Do you know he's, he's not different? He's perfect in both Testaments, He's consistently perfect with who he is. As a matter of fact, it's the, the smiley, happy New Testament that tells me in Hebrews 10.31 that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And over there in the Old Testament where God's always angry and killing people, Lamentations 3.23, boy, that's buried deep in the Old Testament. And it tells me of the faithful love of God that never lets go of me. 
that, that, that tells me there is a new bucket of mercy for me every single morning. Yet you ever gone to bed and thought there's just no possible way God could still love me? There's just no possible way God could still want to have anything to do with me. When you wake up, there beside your bed is mercy full all the way to the top. New every morning. God's absolutely consistent with who he is. You know what God is? Is He's perfect. He's perfect in his wrath. He's perfect in his love. And it's not that he can come over here and do wrath perfectly and then come over here and do love perfectly. God can do wrath and love at the exact same time in perfection. It's just, it's right, it's good. That's hard for us to grasp because all of our character qualities and moods, they don't always come out perfectly, do they? That should be a good solid no right there. Yeah, no, nobody's thinking that. Okay, good. Yeah, but God, but God can. So not a different God in the old and the new. He's the exact same God, perfect to who he is. Now, let's get a grasp of, of these two portions of the Bible. First of all, the Old Testament. If you look up here, you'll see it kind of broken down. And these are in order. So there, there's three different groups in the Old Testament as they're written in order. First of all, they put together the historical group that is telling us the narrative that is telling us the, the story. Then we have the more poetical, a uh, lot of teaching in there, but done in song, done in poetry, and the prophetical. I'm not, that poetical and prophetical, I'm not even sure about that. It just, it rhymed, okay? But, so we have all the prophets uh, there at the end. So a lot of time, well, first of all, anytime you see the word law, that can, at its simplest form, just be referring to the, uh, to the Ten Commandments, but a lot of time in the Old and New Testament, when you see the word, the law, it's referring to Genesis through Deuteronomy. Those first five books there, those are what are called, nicknamed, whatever you want to refer to, that's, that's the law. And so that's the front end of the Old Testament, and the back end is all of those prophets. And so what the Bible calls the Old Testament, because it doesn't call it the Old and the New Testament, we, we grouped it, we named it that way. The Bible refers to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets, the, the two bookends of the whole book, the first five books, the law, all the back end, all the prophets. And you see there, we've got a, a bunch of prophets, they're, they're major prophets and they're minor prophets. So Isaiah through Daniel, those are the major prophets prophets and all the rest. They're minor prophets. They're not as good as the others. They're working real hard. They're hoping to be called up one day into the, uh, into the major leagues. No, that, that's not really it. Uh, for simplicity today, major means long. These are the long prophets. And that's not absolutely true. Daniel's not very long. Lamentations is quite short. Lamentations is there because it was written by Jeremiah. But if you look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those three are three of the longest books in, in, in the whole Bible. Whereas when you get over to the rest of these, like Zephaniah, Haggai, Nahum, I mean, these are like one page long, two pages. So a little bit longer and a little bit shorter. So those are our major and our minor prophets. We have the songs in the middle and then our history. Genesis through Deuteronomy is written by Moses. And that was written in around 1400 uh, B.C. And then Malachi there at the end was written in around 400 B.C. And I'm just using very round, simple numbers for today. So these books are written over about a thousand years. 
Now, they cover in the story more than a thousand years because the first 11 chapters of Genesis are about the beginning of mankind. So that would technically be going further back than 1400 BC. But about a thousand years that they're written, Genesis through Deuteronomy, uh, about 1400 BC. Job actually slipped in there before Moses wrote Genesis and those, so, but also about 1400 BC. So, thousand year time span that those are written. Then we move to our New Testament, and it's 27 books. By the way, I saw this in the last service, this are taking pictures. Remember, if you have our church app, all the notes every Sunday, all the notes that are on the screen are right there on your phone uh, as you're listening or to look at later. So we, we've got his, again, these are the categories in the New Testament. You have the historical, that's telling the story of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those four are referred to as the gospels. The word gospel means good news. They're telling the good news about the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Acts is telling the story of the church, the birth, the start uh, of the church. Acts was written by Luke. If you read the first verse in Luke, the first verse in Acts, you'll say, hey, these go together, like part one and part two. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was his idea. So you got the, the, the kind of the story being told, and then the rest of the New Testament would be more didactic in nature. That's a good word. Find a place to use that this week. D-I-D-A-C-T-I-C. means teaching material. It's pretty much just straight lecture. It's teaching you the Christian faith. There's some narrative. There is some story taking place in that. But mostly it is revealing the teaching of of our Christian faith. And so you've got nine letters. Paul is writing to a church. A, A church would be receiving that letter. The church in Rome. The church in Corinth. The church in Philippi and Colossae. So those are nine to the church. Then Paul wrote four letters to individuals. And then we have nine non-Pauline. That's a real fancy way of saying nine letters written by somebody not named Paul. That's right, because we have a bunch of those too. So that's kind of a, uh, a, a makeup. And the time span, I've, I've said this a couple of times, I think, during this. Galatians written in AD 49 and Revelation written in AD 95. So there's about a 50-year span that the New Testament is being written. But it covers about 100 years, right? Because... The history, the Gospels are referring back to the birth of Christ and bringing us up through that. So you've got about a hundred year span there. Now you see these different, not as much in the New Testament, that you got the historical. I refer to didactic teaching. In the, in the Old Testament, we had history, we had prophecy. You, there, the Bible is made up of different, now this is going to start to sound like sophomore English, which most of us fled from, but you have different genres. And genres, it's important to understand the genre that you're reading because that will give you clues to how you interpret, how, how you understand and interpret a passage. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people, we've, we've talked about this in the courses, oh, the Bible has contradictions or the, 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 the Bible has a whole lot of interpretations. You know, it, it, it does, but folks, good interpretations don't have to answer for bad interpretations. Sometimes people just do the wrong thing with Scripture, and sometimes it's for some really simple reasons. It's like, I don't know if they're not even trying to do good interpretation or or just don't understand the different ways to approach it and understand it, and you, you do have to learn that. Like one little clue would be, when you're reading something, is it describing or is it prescribing? There's a difference. 
When I'm reading a passage, is it prescriptive? That means it's commanding me to do something. It's modeling for me to do something. Or it's simply describing what happened. It's just describing what is. An example, and this is where people say, oh, here's a, here's a contradiction in the Bible. No, it's not a contradiction. You have to interpret it right. You know, the, the Bible prescribes marriage as being one man and one woman, right? But it describes some of our Bible heroes doing something very different. Like David, Solomon, Jacob, who's going to be renamed Israel. Man, they have lots of wives. And so he's like, well, look, here the Bible here can't even make up its mind. It says marriage is one man and one woman, but here's all your Bible heroes over here, and they've got lots of wives. No, one is prescribing something. The other is describing what was. And if you continue to read the story, you will also find that almost every single problem that David and Solomon had was because of their disobedience to a very simple principle of what marriage was. So describing or prescribing, even church theology. When you read through Acts, it'll make comments like, and they met from home to home, the church. Okay, now I've got to ask myself, is that prescribing? How churches are to, we're to meet only in homes. We're to move from home to home. A group should never be bigger than a home. Or is it just describing as this small group that was mostly on the run, trying not to be caught, how they met for worship? Is it prescribing or is it describing? So it, knowing clues like that as you walk through scripture and try to, try to understand what you have. Now there are tools out there to kind of help you get started in some of this. Have you ever, Ever heard anybody say, I find the Bible really hard to understand? Yeah, we all have. Sometimes we were looking in the mirror when we heard it, right? Yeah, it can be. Can you imagine if I were to blindfold you, take you up in a helicopter, take you to a city that you've never been to, I drop you down in the middle of that city, take the blindfold off, what are you going to be? Lost, confused. Some of us may even not, you know, you get used to the landscape and you've got your bearing. You get into a new, which way is north, south? I I don't even have a feel for... Folks, a lot of us are being dropped down in the middle of Ezekiel or Leviticus or or even Luke. And we say, man, I I don't understand where I am. That's why I want to recommend one of the best books I've ever think has been written. It's called Talk Through the Bible. Talk Through the Bible by two guys, Wilkinson and Boa. And it looks like a big book. It's not, well, I mean, it is, but it's not for you to read. You don't, you don't take this book and start on page one and read to the end. It's a, it's a resource book. So you turn to what you need at that moment. So let's say you're getting ready to start reading the Psalms. I'm going to read through the Psalms this month. You might spend, are you ready for this? Ten minutes. That's the beauty of what you have here. This isn't an investment of six days of your life. Ten, fifteen minutes, you open it up to Psalms, and you know what you're going to see in there? You're going to learn who the author is, when he wrote it, why he wrote it, what's the historical context, what's a key word, what are key verses. Uh, For some of you that are a little bit more visual learner, this guy actually charts Every book of the Bible. So on one page, you can see a chart of that entire book. So if you kind of see things, you learn visually, you'll love that. And, and, and what it does, it gives you your bearings in a book. You would not believe how much this will open up the Bible to you. Most of us are wandering around in a city we've never been with buildings we don't understand. And say, I just must not be able to, to, to get it. No, you need the same thing anybody needs. You need to get your bearings 
And, and a, a book like this, just a few pages, uh, a few minutes, and you really can. Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. There's north. There's east. That's southwest. It's 1134. Okay, I've got it. I've started to get my bearings. So I really want to recommend. You'll love this, and it takes so little time. Now, you don't have to have two books. You, because all the material in this book can also be found in a study Bible. Now, this, a study Bible won't be as much material as this one. The, the study Bible will take all the material in this and reduce it down to anywhere from one to three pages. So when I open up to Psalms, the first three pages are going to be the kind of material in this. Now, if you get a study Bible, some of them are pretty beefy, pretty big, right? I mean, you've got to have some bicep to carry this around. But now here's an advantage of a, of a big study Bible. When you walk around with this... I mean, you don't wonder if I'm holy. You, that, that, that dude's the real thing, man. Look at the size of that Bible. I mean, this says something about you right here. Okay, so that's an advantage of a study Bible. So the first couple pages is going to be this. And then, and then the rest throughout the study Bible, like the, the, the first three-fourths of the page or the top three-fourths is going to be the Scripture and then the bottom fourth is going to be, maybe there was a, a difficult word or a difficult idea. It's going to give some comment on that. has pictures. Some of us, that's all we could buy the book for, right? It's got, it's got pictures there. So this page is talking about the temple. So it gives you an outline there of, of what's going on and why they're talking about the temple right there. And so it's just going to help you study and understand a little bit more. Two study Bibles I really, really like are th- uh, this one that I'm holding, the ESV study Bible is excellent. I think this is pure opinion. Uh, It's the best, most solid, uh, and clearly a lot of study notes. It'll add the very most. Now, the disadvantage of this is if if you don't want the ESV, uh, oddly enough, the ESV study Bible only comes in the ESV. Y'all are right on it today. I like that. Yeah, only the ESV. But... The Life Application Study Bible, which is another favorite of mine, that is a very, very user-friendly uh, study Bible. I mean, that it's a little bit shorter. It's not going to be as beefy as this, so you won't look as holy as I do. But it, 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 is, it is absolutely good notes. It'll give you a lot of commentary. Very, it's very focused, on, as the title says, on application so, you know, what do I do with this today? But the, one of the advantages of the life application is it does come in a number of translations. So I, King James, New King James, New International, New American, uh, New Living. We talked about that last week, New Living Translation, at least five. I know it comes in at least five different translations. So those are two study Bibles that I, I really think are Excellent. So now I, I, I kind of know what I'm dealing with. I know a way to jump in there. I, I've got some tools. And so now we need to start reading. And I really, really encourage you, whatever kind of Bible studies you're involved in, you're involved in a Bible study at school, you're involved in one at work, you're in a life group here at church, but kind of studies kind of come and go, right? They start and stop. I want to encourage you to have kind of a methodical approach of reading through your Bible. And I almost just want to say all the time. You you know what? The Bible's big. It takes a long time to read through it. But you know what? One day it actually starts to add up to a whole lot. 27 years ago, I started reading through the Bible 
in a year. And I've done it 27 times. And you know what? There's a real fruit to that. Now, that's not very motivating today because most of us say, 20, what is 27 years from now? That's just so hard to imagine. Start with this year. Start with, start with 2019. I'm going to read the Bible through. And yes, you're going to miss a day by about January 11th. That doesn't mean you have to quit. Just pick up on the 12th and keep going, all right? Keep, keep working at it. There are so many different ways to read through the Bible now. Uh, you can Google Bible study met plans or read, reading Bible plans. Uh, the version, which we talked about last week, the Bible app, uh, it has customizable plans. It's got plans. Uh, our church app has Bible study reading plans. Again, it's not... As a matter of fact, some of your Bibles, you probably don't even know this, have a Bible study reading plan in them. So I never go past that page. I promise you. Uh, some of them, not all of your Bibles will, but, but some of them will. But, but have a plan where you are methodically working through. Some of it will be chronological. Some of them will start on page one and go to the end. Uh, I do one where I read a little bit in the old, a little bit in the new, a psalm and a proverb. But, but always, always have it going. Oh, I just, I don't know why that excites me. Always be reading your Bible. Always working through it methodically. Because you know what? If we don't, guess what? We keep going and studying the same passage. We, we have our favorite verse that we keep going to. And, and it's amazing. We'll feast on 5% of the Bible. <laughs> and ignore 95% of it. So kind of have a methodical plan of working through that. And I'm really excited about something. 2019, for you, right here at the Heights Baptist Church, you're going to have a chance next year to go through the Bible as an individual, as a small group, and as a church at large. You're going to have three opportunities to all week or every week and all year long be moving through the entire Bible. I'm making an announcement here. If you're a life group teacher, Ronnie has not told you this, but he's not here today and I'm going to jump in front of him and I, what's he going to do? I'm saying nothing. Uh, so making an announcement here. This coming year, okay, starting in 2019, now you as an individual, you're, you're, you're responsible for you and you're going to read through the Bible in 2019, right? Because you're so intrigued by this great thing God's given us. Then you're going to come to Life Group, and in Life Group, we have a curriculum we're going to be using in 2019 where we go through the entire Bible in 42 weeks. It's going to be 42 out of 47. We're going to do this between January and November. We've got, you know, Easter in there and a couple wild card Sundays. But basically, 42 out of 47 Sundays, we're going to go through the, the whole Bible. Now, obviously, in 42 Sundays, we're not going through it verse by verse, are we? We're not even going through it book by book because there's 66 of them. So that's not even a, a, a book a Sunday. But what you will get in those 42 weeks is you will go everywhere in your Bible. You'll see every piece. You'll fly over every part of the landscape. You'll understand what each, each piece is doing and how it all fits together. You'll be doing that in life group. And then you'll come into worship. And guess what the pastor's going to be doing? The same thing. 
No, not, 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 not the same like lesson your life group teacher just gave you. Uh, you know, your life group teacher will approach it from one direction using the curriculum. I'll, I'll come over here and I'll, I'll approach it from another direction. So you're reading through the Bible on your own. You're coming with a small group of friends and studying it together, looking at it from one angle. Then you'll come in here and I'll take a, another angle. And folks, I'm just outside my mind with excitement. You know why? Because Ezekiel 12.25 promises me that God's word does not return void. It says God's word always profits its purpose. And I get excited about what that means to my life, what that means to our church. And I'm just praying, God, what are you going to do as we all together commit to studying the whole Bible? Is that somewhat intriguing to y'all? Sound a little bit interesting? Yes. Man, I, I, hope as a, I hope as an individual, a couple, as a family, you're right now in October praying, thinking about, looking forward to, how are we going to get involved in that? How are we going to engage in that in 2019? So now that we're reading it, now, now we got to know what we're doing when we're reading. And, and here's the thing. Here's the big thing. You need to turn the light switch on. All right? You ever read the Bible and you're looking at a word and all of a sudden you realize you've been looking at the same word for three minutes? Or you just read the same paragraph three times over and not on purpose. You know, I said we could all read. I didn't say we were all good at it, right? <laughs> I mean, most a lot of the reading we do is because somebody at work or somebody at school told us to. After that, we don't do just a ton of reading. And so I want to give you just real quickly a couple of ways to kind of, I don't, best way I think to say this is just engage our brain when we're reading, and I think you'll find that you get a, a, a lot more out of your, your reading. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 1. I want to, uh, I, I want to read, read the Psalm, not because we're getting ready to study Psalm 1. I just want to read it before I show you uh, what to do while you're reading. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's an interesting progression, isn't it? They're walking... They're standing, they're sitting. wonder what God's trying to say there. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That, that's what God's anticipating this book means to you and I. Day and night, we're in it. Day and night, we're thinking about it. And when a person does that, verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. You know what a tree planted by a river is? Always nourished, never dry, never empty. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not like that. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Like I said, on, when I'm reading and, you know, alone by myself in the morning, this isn't because I'm preparing for a Bible study. It's not because I'm preparing a sermon. I'm just reading my Bible in the morning. I'm reading an old. I'm reading a new. I'm reading a psalm. I'm reading a proverb. And while I read those, I have two different things that I do, not usually at the same time. I'm usually doing one or the other. One thing I do is I answer three questions about what I read. What, what does it say about God? What does it say about people? What is it telling me to do? What does it say about God? What is it telling me about people? 
or me, and what is it telling me to do? Now, when I am reading a passage, guess what? You can read a whole chapter, and that particular chapter wasn't about God. It was, you know, about the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm not going to learn lessons about God in that, but I'm going to learn a lesson about people, aren't I? Okay, and so it's it's not that here, here you've got to have right answers or bad answers, good answers, wrong answers. That that's not, you're just jotting ideas. Sometimes you might have nothing under one of them. You might have eight or nine things under another. But as I read, I'm looking. What is it teaching me? What is it telling me about God? What is it telling me about people? What am I supposed to do? And so I'm reading Psalm 1. Wow, God knows the way of the righteous. Hey, there's a blessing in finding nourishment. I want that blessing. Wonder what all is involved in finding nourishment in God's word. And there's certainly, man, I need to be delighting in the law of the Lord. Lord, I want to, I want to delight in your word. I wonder how I do that. Well, I read it. I, I memorize it. I meditate. I'm thinking on it over and over and over. So that's one thing to do while you're reading is just be trying to answer three questions. Jot those out. Now, I said, I don't know if I said a moment ago. I think I said a moment ago. When you're doing about any Bible plan, regardless of how it breaks out, you still have 365 days. You still have 66 books, right? So most plans are going to be about 15 minutes of reading a day. So if you add something like this to your reading where you're reading and kind of jotting some notes, yeah, you know, it's going to take a little longer. Now, now you're up to about 22 minutes. But that's still less time than a sitcom, right? I mean, we're really devoted to our sitcom, so surely I can, 22 minutes, I, I can probably do. So one thing I might be doing on a particular day is just as I read, I'm, I'm jotting out those, those answers. Another thing I do is I pray the Scripture, as I'm reading it, I, I pray about what I read. Now, when I say about what I read, I, I might read a whole page and not pray one thing. I might turn the page and I stop and I have a prayer on three different words. Prayer about this word, this word, this word. It, you know, it's just as you read, what leads you to say, man, Lord, I need that. Lord, help me with that. You know, if I read Psalm 1, it walks in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners. Man, Lord, you, you seem to be concerned about the influences in my life. Lord, I pray I'm concerned about the influences in my life. I pray that, I'm, I pray that you make me sensitive to where there is a growing, because that's kind of what this is talking about, a progression, right? Lord, where there's a growing influence in my life, especially if it's wicked, especially if it's something that's leading me away from you. Lord, would you make me sensitive to that? And oh man, Lord, my kids. And there are, I know all the influences, they're out there. Lord, I pray my kids are sensitive to the influences in their life, that they see what those influences are doing in their lives. And man, Lord, I pray my kids delight in your word. I pray my kids love your word. I pray they're disciplined to spend time in your word. Oh, Lord, have they seen that example in me? Have I modeled that for them? I mean, folks, I'm telling you something. When you start praying scripture, you're going to be shocked at how it blows open your prayer life. Because I'm guessing a lot of us kind of struggle with the same thing. We pray about the same two or three things over and over and over and over and over. Right? I mean, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong praying they do well on the math test this Thursday and good at the game Friday. I want my kids to do well on the math test Thursday and in the game Friday. But there's so many more things that will profoundly impact their lives that I may never pray about at all. 
And when you start to pray scripture, you're going to pray for things for your marriage, your kids, your parents, your friends, your work, that you would have never thought of praying. How many times have you prayed for somebody that they would delight in God's word and know all that it means to be never malnourished? You see what happens now? All of a sudden I'm praying. I'm praying for things I would have never thought about. Man, it, it, it'll, it'll open up, and God answers prayers. <laughs> it's going to open up your prayer life and, and new things in your life and in your relationships. Man, it's an awesome thing we've been given here, isn't it? And let's, let's, let's work at reading and understanding it. Folks, if you were to take what I've given you today, and today's a little present, different presentation. Um, if you were to take what I've given you today and liken it to fishing, here's what I've given you. I've given you a rod and a reel. A bobber, a hook, and a worm. That's it. That's all I've given you. Now, here's the good news. You can take those things. You can go to a lake right now, and you can catch fish. You, with those things right there, you can be eating fish dinner tonight. That's a fact. That's an absolute promise. Well, not, not a promise. I mean, you've got to catch it. All right, But you can with that stuff. And you say, man, look what my pastor is. I've got the best pastor in the world. Don't we have the best pastor in the world? Gosh, I think so. Um, that's a little self-serving. I get it. But uh, you, you'll look, look what I've got now. There's a flip side to this. If instead of going to the lake, you get in your car and you drive up to Ashland and you walk into the Bass Pro Shop, you're going to say, my pastor didn't give me nothing. I mean, you are going to look around and say, look at all, look at how much there is. Look at that. There's fresh water and salt water. I mean, there's just so many different things to have, to possess, to learn. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you something. I really pray for you, Bass Pro Shop. But the good news is you can eat fish dinner tonight without going to Bass Pro Shop. Okay? So you know what we've given today is super simple and basic. But you pick it up and you start using it. And then when new stuff gets added, when you have an opportunity to go to the Bass Pro Shop, start picking up stuff there. A, hey, a new book, a new resource. It's going to mean so much more to you because you already have the elements. The key is, the key is we got to use it. Guess what? You're never going to feel comfortable. You're never going to feel good with something you don't pick up and use. If you leave yourself constantly with nothing more than being dropped down into a city you've never been, then, then yeah, there's not a whole lot there. But, but, folks, what God thinks he gave us was something that enables you and I to be a tree planted by a stream of water. And I'm constantly nourished. And I'm constantly productive and fruitful in my life. That's what God's trying to put in, in your hands. Amen? What a gift. Let's be faithful with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for all that is there, all that is in it. And God, may, may we be a people who, who are disciplined with our time. And disciplined to, just like we would shape our schedule in our week to catch the, the series premiere of our favorite sitcom. God, could we, could we have the same devotion and to organize our calendar, our time, to want to be there and sit down and, and start learning and reading the very voice of God and, and all that you have for our lives, Father. Oh, Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for every person here that God, just like David, could we one day be able to say that, that your, word, your word is like honey 
on my lips. God, I would pray for each of us that we would know the sweetness and the nourishment of thriving in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.